Friday. Turn with me and your copy of the Word of God to the book of John. John chapter number 10. I love being in ministry with people who are passionate about what God has called them to do. I love our recovery ministry. The reason is because that those people who are in charge of that recovery ministry, they're passionate about what God has called them to do. That's why I love our choir. I'll say that again, you say amen. That's why I love our choir. They are passionate about the moment when they lead us in worship. And you ought to show up sometime when it's not even worship time, maybe just during choir practice. You ought to be here on Sunday morning at 7.30 when our praise team, when our instrumentalists are, are, are here and our sound and video people preparing for the moment of worship. My, it's... I worship three times on Sunday morning. Twice with you all at 8.30, then again at 10.45, but there's this special time between 7.30 and 8 when we get together as a, as a worship team. and It's just marvelous to be in the presence of God. John chapter number 10. Rewilding. Can y'all see that? I can't help it. That's all I got. That's heaven. That's the church. That's the home. This is the believer. God, who is in heaven, wants to bring honor and glory to Himself through His church. The church is an embassy. If I talked about the United States embassy that was in China, that means that's a safe place for, if I was in China, and uh, you remember them old boys from LA, uh, UCLA basketball team that went out and stole that pair of sunglasses and got their put in jail for like 30 years. Y'all remember that? That's China for you. Well, could they have, if they could have made their way back to the embassy, by the way, I don't think those boys have stole anything since. If they could have made their way to the embassy, they would have been safe. Embassies has the ambassadors. Ambassadors, they go out from the embassy and they carry the news of the kingdom. And this if, if the kingdom of God, if the church is, if the kingdom of God is going to be strong, it's got to be strong in the church. If it's going to be strong in the church, it's got to be strong in the home. If it's going to be strong in the home, it's got to be strong in the believer. It all has a root. It all has a beginning. It all has a starting point. Rewilding is a word that Main Street's going to become aware of here over the next few weeks. John chapter number 10, we already preached from this passage a couple Sundays ago when we talked about, I am the shepherd. 
I started in John chapter number 10, verse number 10, and I began to preach through the end of the chapter, and I talked about uh, the thief and how the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus Christ has come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Verse number 11 says, I am the good shepherd. Sheep must know if, if sheep are going to be strong believers and we're going to have strong homes and we're going to be strong churches and we're going to be a blessing to God. We must know who the shepherd is. We must trust the shepherd. Now, two weeks ago I preached on the shepherd. Today I'm preaching on the gate, preaching on the door. Listen to this. Jesus Christ is the door. Jesus Christ is the gate that leads you out of yourself into eternal life and abundant life. John chapter number 10, verse number 7 says this, Then Jesus said to them, You must be aware of what's happening in the first six verses of John chapter number 10. There's this guy that was blind in John chapter number 9. They have excommunicated him. They've kicked him out of the church because he said Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. The religious people has kicked him out. This healed blind man... And these Pharisees, these religious people, Jesus has spoken to them in the first six verses. They didn't get what he was saying. Verse number six of John chapter number 10 says, Jesus used these illustrations, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse seven says, then he said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, sheep... Shepherd, sheep pen, sheep door, sheep gate, all that is important because we're in a context here where Jesus is in this place called Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are very much aware of sheep, shepherds, sheep pen. A sheep pen has four sides that is probably about this, about, about this tall. And on top of that, there's um, uh, wire or, or there's uh, other things that would keep the enemy the, the, from crawling over the sheep. But there is a little door, a little bitty opening in the sheepfold, just teensy tiny. See that door there? It's not that big. It's little. And the shepherd can actually stand in the opening in the door in the gate of the sheepfold, and he can, he can almost take up the whole thing. And when the sheep come in at night, they go right through that. That's the only way in is through that door, through that gate. Jesus said this, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Underline that word. He will be saved. And he will go in and out and find green pastures. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Look at the word saved in verse number 9. The word saved in verse number 9 means to be delivered, protected. It means to be made whole. Jesus walked up to a gentleman that was laying by the pool of Bethesda who had been lame for 36 years. He was laying beside this pool and he said, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made completely well physically, mentally, spiritually? Do you want to be made whole? When Jesus said this, if you come through me, if you come through the door, 
you will be saved or you will be made whole. Why does the believer, why does people need to be saved? Why do we need to, to be made whole again? In, John, in Genesis chapter number 3, we know what happened. We know about this place called the Garden of Eden. We know that it was perfect. And we know that this man, this woman, Adam and Eve, they ignored God. They ignored God. They did exactly what God told them not to do. And when they did what God told them not to do, sin entered into the, the world. The infection of sin has cor corrupted the entire world. Now, are you can I one amen is all I'm asking for, okay? I won't ask for no more after this, okay? Sin has corrupted the entire world. No race, no society, no culture has escaped the infection of sin. Since Genesis chapter number 3, the entire human race has been in, uh, infected with sin. How did sin get its beginning? Sin got its beginning because Adam and Eve, God's creation, they simply ignored God. God gave them specific instructions. The, 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 the enemy came to them and told them something. They did not consult God. They did not talk with their creator. They did what they want. They ignored instruction. They extracted God from the situation. Sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, death was on its coattail. Listen to this. When we extract God from our lives, we need to expect earthly chaos and eternal misery. When we remove God from the situation... When we remove God from our lives, any part of our lives, let me tell you something. Our schools are in so much trouble today because of, of, of people that want to come in and shoot our schools up. Our schools are in so much trouble today because teachers are worn out and they're tired and, and children are worn out and tired. You know why? Because we have extracted God from the situation. We have taken Him out. We've become so educated, so smart, we don't need God. Now let me take it one step farther and, 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 and listen. In Anderson County, Tennessee, Anderson County football, we cannot stand up and pray at a football game. Now let me tell you something. This is all on our minds and all our hearts. Listen to this. When you extract God from an Anderson County and Clinton football game, you need to expect chaos. When we extract God from our lives, we need to expect earthly chaos. Don't make me preach on Washington, D.C. And eternal misery. You extract God from your life, you're going to die and go to hell. And let me tell you something. Hell is real. Hell is an awful, awful place. And you can extract God from you. you can, God has sent His Son to die. He has sent His Son to redeem us, to save us. We who have all been exposed to this awful thing of sin, we've walked in it and we've participated in it and we have separated ourselves from God. God has sent His Son to redeem us, to buy us back. When we extract that, when we walk away from it, when we ignore it, we're going to spend eternity in a place called misery. Misery. 
The only way to escape eternal destruction is to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you cannot see John chapter 3 verse number 5. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. You cannot escape eternal destruction. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you go through the gate, unless you go through Jesus Christ. There is only one way to heaven through Jesus. Only one way. And every time I I get to thinking about there's only one way to heaven... I go to YouTube and I pull up Oprah Winfrey, and I'm not mad at her. But 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 in, on her show, you I don't know how I found it, but there's this one little Southern Baptist lady who taught Sunday school, who stood up in front of Oprah, and in front of Dr. Phil, and to the entire world, and said they are there is only one way through Jesus. And Oprah said, this is not fair. If Jesus Christ is the only way, this is not fair. Truth does not have to be fair. Truth is truth. And there is only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. That is narrow-minded thinking, yes. But Jesus Christ is a narrow-minded God. And the gate, the door into heaven is a narrow place. Now, to hell and destruction, that's a broad road and there are many that find it. But there's only one way to heaven through the door, through Jesus Christ. Salvation occurs when a person accepts Jesus' work at Calvary. This... Awful thing happened in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered into the world. And, 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 and for 4,000 years, men and women walked in darkness. Then came Jesus. Then came Calvary. And then came this time when Jesus died on the cross. Darkness come upon him. They lay him in a grave. And then three days later he rose again. Salvation occurs when the person accepts Jesus' work at Calvary. In order for me to be born again, I have to take a look at my life and look at how sinful I am and where where I have sinned and come short. And, and, And the key word there is sin. It's not because I was poorly potty trained, or it's not because my dad paddled me or something. It's because I have been contaminated by the sin infection. It's because of that that I need a Savior. I have to look at the cross, and I have to look at at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and and, and know that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changes everything. On the cross, Jesus 
This is what I wanted to do this morning, and I, I didn't do it. I wanted to get me a cross and just kind of sit it right here. And I wanted to get me a garbage can, and I wanted to dump all the stuff up on the cross here. And this, this, this representing the sin of mankind, child abuse, wife abuse, adultery, murder, dump it all. Up. And you know what? Jesus Christ took care of every bit of it. See, I have to accept this fact. I have to accept the fact that at the cross, Jesus God's only son, the one way to heaven. He is the one that took care of all of that stuff. I have to accept his work. And when I accept his work, then I have walked through the door of heaven. There is no other way. Y'all think that's not a word. Rewilding. When I was at the beach, I read a book. I know you're shocked, but <clears throat> I'm interested in, in how uh, I'm interested in how to become a better man of God. This the book's not for the church; it's 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 for me. And this book, "Play the Man," the author says this, and and the topic is rewilding. In 1995, the gray wolf was reintroduced into the Yellowstone National Park after a 75-year hiatus. Scientists expected an ecological ripple effect, but the size and the scope of this ecological effect took them by surprise. Wolves are predators that kill certain species of animals. But they indirectly give life to others. When the wolves re-entered the ecological equation, it radically changed the behavior of the other wildlife. As wolves began killing coyotes, the rabbits and the mouse population increased, thereby attracting hawks, weasels, foxes, and badgers. The absence of the predators, in the absence of the predators, deer, which quad, which overpopulated the park and overgazed parks, uh, the Yellowstone Park, their traffic pattern changed, allowing flowers and berries to flourish. The berries and the shrubs caused the spike in the bear population. In a six years' time, the over the overgazed park, the trees quadruple in height. Bear valleys reforest, and aspens and willows and cottonwood trees began to grow. As soon as that happened, songbirds started re-nesting in the trees. Then beavers started chewing them down. Beavers, the ecological engineer of the ecosystem, building dams. And that created a natural habitat for otters, mushrats, ducks, as well as fish, reptile, and other species. Rewilding is the urge to control nature. Rewilding is the, is the resisting of the urge to control nature. It is Restoration of the wilderness. It is a reinduction of animals back into their natural habitat. It is an, eco an ecological term 
But rewilding has a spiritual implication. In Matthew chapter number 10, Jesus said, I am, I am taking you sheep and I am setting you out among the wolves. And because I am sending you out among the wolves, you sheep, you need to be able to trust your shepherd. You need to be able to lean on me. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ being the door to heaven. And there is no other door except through Jesus Christ. So there in John chapter number 6, he is talking about bringing the sheep into the sheepfold through the door. Now, if you're going up over the sheepfold in another place, I'm going to ask you a question. You say, thief and robber. If you go up over the sheepfold through another way other than through the gate, what are you? Okay. When you come into the fold and you come through the door, then, 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 then you have come through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door to heaven. He is also the door to abundant life. Jesus Christ is the door. He's the gate. He is that thing that leads you out of yourself. He leads you out of yourself into eternal life and into abundant life. Okay, I've been born again. I have come through the door. I've come through the gate. And He has now placed me in His sheepfold. Can you see what I'm saying? You're in the fold. You're safe. The shepherd's here protecting the door. No one's going to get to you. You're safe. But now you've spent the night in this fold. You've spent the night and you're safe. The next morning, the, sheep is going, the shepherd's going to come and say to his sheep, follow me. The sheep is going to know the voice of the shepherd. The sheep is going to follow the shepherd. Well, where is he taking them? He is taking them. The good shepherd leads, the, leads us into the sheepfold. He also leads us into green pastures and the still waters. Listen. If you get saved and you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you get your name recorded in the Lamb's book of life, you have come through the door, you've come through the gate, you're going to heaven. But if you get in the sheepfold and you stay in the sheepfold and you never walk with the shepherd, you never follow him. You remember what Jesus called those disciples? He said, come follow me. The word Christian appears three times in the scripture, Jesus talks about followers and he talks about disciples. He talks about those people that come after him. When Jesus comes to the sheepfold and says, come, we as sheep, we need to have enough trust in the shepherd that we're going to, to follow. And he, that still small voice, we're going to do what God has called us to do. Sheep who remain in the sheepfold have eternal life, but miss the abundant life. Abundant life is not health, wealth. There's people who preach this stuff on television. If you know Jesus Christ, and if you have abundant life, I can look at your bank account and I can tell. I can, I can take your blood pressure and I can tell. Are you, uh, uh, is your blood pressure up? Well, there's sin in your life. You're, you're, you're not walking with the Lord. Listen, those people who remain in the sheepfold, those people who do not follow Jesus Christ, those are the people who have eternal life, but they don't have abundant life. We've got to discover the difference now. Judy, I want you to come. And I want you to give a testimony 
of how you heard a still small voice and where it led you to. This is not my comfort zone, but I have to share this. Um, in 2013, I made one of the scariest moves in my life, an area in my life where I wanted to stay in the sheepfold, where I was comfortable, most comfortable. For 50 years, I played the organ and piano here, and that's where I wanted to die, over on the organ bench. I was content. I knew that that's what I was supposed to be doing. Well, um, God had different plans for me. We have had several minister of musics here, and worship leaders, or, uh, choir directors here, and um, they would stay for a while and leave, and we always called Bobby Swisher to come fill in. Bobby was a great interim. He was a great worship leader, a great choir director. And I just knew that God had a call on his life, but he wasn't paying attention. You know, I knew that that's what he was supposed to be doing. So um, our uh, last choir director left, and again, we called on Bobby. I think it was between 2010 and 2011, and uh, did a wonderful job. But finally, Bobby said, enough is enough. This is not the area of my life that I feel led, that God is leading me in. So we started on the search committee, and Jessica Jackson was on that. I remember Jessica coming up to me one Sunday night and saying, you know, Judy, you can pray all you want to, and you all can search all you want to, but I know who's supposed to be there. And uh, I looked her just straight in the eyes, and she said, it's you. And I said, oh, it's not me. So anyway, that was my area. I wanted to stay right back behind that organ bench. But like I say, God had different plans for me. So um, I fought it for like two years. And finally, I just felt the tug getting stronger and stronger. And one evening, I went over and talked to Bobby and spent a great deal of time with him and told him I was really struggling. And he was so precious. Bobby, you were precious. And... Uh, told me, you know, that he felt like maybe this is what I needed to do. Well, to make a long story short, I made the scariest six feet of my life. I took, I was over on the organ and had to move six feet to behind the pulpit. But, you know, it's been the best move. There is nothing like being in the will of God. I fail every day, and I will continue to fail this side of heaven. But I know in my heart I'm where I'm supposed to be. And um, I just praise God for um, that peace, and I praise him that he kept after me until I finally submitted to him. One of my favorite verses is, is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge or submit to him, and he will direct your path. Amen. 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 The Holy Spirit wants you to be happy, but he doesn't want you to be comfortable. If you're comfortable, and you, you, you've, you've carved out your place in the kingdom, and you're happy in this little sheepfold moment, that's a sign from God that you need to be praying, and, and, and that, you, that you need to be seeking. Listen to this. I'm going to go fast. In many ways, the 21st century church has become a zoo. Now stop, listen. I'm talking about if you ever go to the zoo and you ever look at the ape, 
behind that wall, protective wall. And then if you ever see a, a, an ape in the wild, in, in the wilderness, their behavior is different. When sheep come into this sheep shed and we stay here, we get tame. We have created a safe place for believers to become tame. The church, this place that, that, that has been designed by God, this embassy that, that He wants to show Himself to the world. We come here, we hunker down from the storm, we sing, we, we build buildings, and the world dies and goes to hell. That's why I'm so tickled to be a part of this John 3.16 project. That's why it's so much fun as a pastor to watch people work. This summer feeding program that we just completed, man, was a lot of work. There was people who, who three days a week, all summer long, 27, 30 plus times, showed up at Main Street Church, got their food, delivered their food, came here, collected, cook the food. But you know what? That is not allowing yourself to remain in the cage, remain in the sheepfold. It's called, you're pushing yourself out and you're going out. You know what? You need to talk to these people who delivered this food this summer because they, just like Jesus, they saw the people and they had compassion on them. The worst thing that can ever happen to the kingdom of God is for the sheep, for the believers to become tame. i got to go fast. The church has pushed Jesus Christ outside its doors. Jesus is seeking to re-enter His church. In, John, or in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20, Jesus is preaching to the church at Laodicea. He is not preaching evangelistically. He is not drawing the net. He's preaching to His people. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm wanting back inside with my people. I want, I want to be inside the people and I want people to be outside the walls. Following Jesus will expose your inadequacies. The, the, the passage that I would read from if I had time would be Judges chapter number 6 where, where the Israelites were in bondage to the Midianites and the Midianites were showing up and they were stealing their crops and they were harming their people. And Jesus, or the, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to this man named Gideon who was on the, up in the mountains hiding out. And, and the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, Hello, mighty man of God. And the Lord is with you. And Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, then why is all this stuff befallen to us? And it's like the angel and Gideon, it's like they weren't listening to each other. It's kind of like a parent talking to a teenager. The, the, the angel called him a mighty man of God, said the Lord is with you. Well, if the Lord is with you, he ignored the part about the, the mighty man of God. He said, if the Lord is with us, why is all this stuff befallen us? And the angel ignored that and he said, you just go do what I tell you to do. And Gideon, the weakest man in all... His family was weak. 
He came from a weak tribe. He came from a weak family. And he was the weakest of that family. And Jesus said, there's my man. You 98-pound weakling, you follow me. I know that you have weaknesses. I know that there's stuff you can't do. But you follow me. Come out of the sheepfold. Hear my voice. And watch me do great things. To God be the glory. But Judy heard the still small voice. There's not a greater choir in the Southern Baptist Convention than Main Street Baptist Church Choir. To God be the glory. Don't you love worshiping here? To God be the glory. What happens? What happens to the sheep when they ignore, ignore the voice of the shepherd? And they, they've walked in the door and they're in the sheepfold, but now they, they don't want to walk back out and they don't want to go to green pastures and they don't want to go beside the still waters. Can you imagine what life is like if you're constantly, always, never ending in the fold? Let me tell you what you're doing. You're just standing around waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. You're just looking forward to dying because you've got a better thing over yonder. Let me tell you something. God has a great thing for you right here in the earth if you will follow Him. Bow your heads. If your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and I want you just for a very quick moment to remember that moment of salvation. Remember when you walked through the door... You walked through Jesus Christ and became a child of the King. Remember that? Can you remember the day you were saved? Now, let's take it a step farther. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? What's the still, small voice saying to you this morning? I know what I'm doing. I I know that this is the 830 worship hour, and I know that Almost everybody that comes to this worship service is, is saved and born again and have their, has their name recorded. But to you 830 worshipers, to the believer, what is God saying to you? Step out. Step out of that, that sheepfold this morning and be bold. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua 1.9, in what God is calling you to do. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your son's name I pray. Turn with me, please. In your copy of the Word to the book of John. John, chapter number 10. You love to worship. John chapter number 10. Can you all see that? 
rewilding. Listen to this. Have you ever heard this before? Jesus said this to his disciples. The foxes have their holes. The birds have their nest. But I am the Son of Man and I have no place to lay my head. You ever heard that? There's about four or five different ways that you could preach that. If I was preaching on the mind of Christ, I would say that Jesus is saying there that, that this religious community that he's speaking to, you guys don't think the way I think. You think differently. You think of works and you think of good behavior. You don't, well, I don't have no place to place my head. I, you don't think right. Jesus could have been thinking the foxes have their holes, the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have built one heck of a house because he was a carpenter. He didn't lack the skills to build something. I think it's interesting that this Jesus, this son of a carpenter, said, "I upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus said, the foxes have their holes, the birds have their nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Jesus could have went down to the temple. He could have changed water to wine. He could have taken fishes and loaves and he could have fed all kinds of people. He could have healed the blind, the sick. He could have, he could have uh, been at the temple and they would have made him a wonderful place there for him to, to, to build a throne and to get up on his throne and to sit on his throne. Matter of fact, there was one place in the, in the scripture where Jesus said, I refuse to be your king. Do you know that Jesus had no home? He had no house. He spent, he spent three and a half years on a camping trip. He, 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 he slept on the ground. He, 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 he ate by fireside. And you know what? With all of that stuff, Jesus had a desire not to be at the temple, not to be on a, a throne high and lifted up, but he wanted to be by the pool of Bethesda. He wanted to be by the, 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 the well at Samaria. He wanted to be among the hurting people. We'll get back to that. John chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 7, is where we're going to read. But to read verse number 7, you need to understand what's happening in the first six verses. We know that Jesus is speaking in first, uh, uh, John 10, 1 through 6. He's talking to this blind gentleman whom he met in John chapter number 9, who he, he, he spit on the ground, he made mud balls, and, and he, he healed him. And, and, and because this blind man who was once blind but now could see referred to Jesus Christ as as the Son of God, as the Messiah, all those church people, all those religious people, they did what religious people did. They kicked him out of church. When they kicked him out of church, he's now uh, um, uh, preaching to this, this blind man and all those religious people. To, and, and, and Jesus said this. Jesus said in verse number 7, Jesus then said unto them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Listen to this. Jesus Christ is the door. Jesus Christ is the gate that leads you out of yourself into eternal and abundant life. Jesus said, I, I am the door to the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but... The sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters 
by me, he will be saved. Underline that word. He will be saved and he will go in and, and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus said this two weeks ago. He says, I am the good shepherd. I believe that the sheep have no understanding of who the good shepherd really is. You remember two weeks ago when I preached on I am the good shepherd and I was careful to say that I want to preach on the shepherd and I don't want to preach on the sheep because lots of times when you get to talking about the good shepherds, you'll end up preaching on the sheep and how dumb the sheep is. Okay, that was two weeks ago. Now we're back to the sheep. We're going to preach this morning on, on, on what it means to, to have a door and, and, and how, how that impacts the sheep. Jesus said in John chapter number 10, verse number 9, He said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find, go in and out and find good pasture. Look at the word saved. The word saved means to be delivered. It means to be protected. It means to be made whole. John chapter number six. Jesus walked up to the pool of Bethesda and there was an invalid laying there, a man who could not walk, who could not move. He'd been laying by this pool for a long time waiting for the waters to be troubled. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be made whole? He didn't say, do you want to be physically healed? Do you want to be mentally healed? Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? That's what happens when you get saved. Jesus Christ, through His blood, makes you whole. He makes you well physically, mentally, spiritually. He takes care of you. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that, that, that people be made whole? Well, in Genesis chapter number 3, there was this place called the Garden of Eden. And there was this man named Adam and this woman named Eve. And they had been instructed by God the Father that they could live in the garden. And in the midst of the garden, there was this tree that they were not to partake of. And they had been given clear instructions concerning the tree that was in the middle of the garden. And the, the, the serpent came, the, the crafty one came to them, and he began to speak to them. And Adam and Eve ignored, simply ignored God, and they, they ate of the fruit that God commanded them not to do. What he told them to do, they ignored. The enemy came and said, eat of this fruit. They did not consult with him. They did not confer with him. They ignored him. And when they did, sin entered into the world. The, the, the infection of sin has corrupted the entire world. Now, I'm going to say that again. They're going to say amen. Okay? You don't have to do it anymore after this time, but I do need you to understand that the infection of sin has corrupted the entire world. The entire human race. There is no society. There is no culture. There is no race of people that has escaped the infection of sin. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what happened there in Genesis chapter number 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they ignored God. They contaminated the bloodline of humanity from now until the return of Jesus Christ. They extracted God from the situation. The enemy came, the enemy tempted them, and they did not consult with Him. They extracted Him, they ignored Him. 
when we extract God from our lives, expect earthly chaos and eternal misery. Why, pastor, are our schools in such turmoil? Why do we have SROs in our school? Why are our schools being shot up? Why are our teachers coming apart like a $2 watch? Why are our children so out of control? Because we have made a decision to remove Jesus Christ from the school. When you remove God from the situation, when you extract Him from the situation, you need to expect chaos and misery. We in Anderson County, Tennessee, the Bible Belt, we cannot go to Anderson County High School and pray uh, at a football game. Now you listen to this. You let Anderson County High School and Clinton High School come together and play football and you extract God from that situation, you can expect chaos. Don't make me preach on Washington, D.C. You, 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 has God ever been extracted? He actually has been kicked out of that place. And let me tell you something. He's been kicked out of our homes. And when he gets kicked out of our homes, he's been kicked out of our churches. Listen, you extract God from the situation and you need to expect chaos. You need to expect eternal misery. The only way to escape eternal destruction... What are you talking about eternal destruction? What are you talking about eternal decision? I'm talking about a place called hell. This place is real. It's a place that we preached on a couple weeks ago. A place of outer darkness where there is no hope. There is no Savior. There is nothing. It's just complete and total misery. God sent His only Son to the cross. Adam and Eve sinned. The whole world got contaminated. The whole world has been infected by sin. The whole world has been separated from God. Here comes Jesus. Jesus Christ comes and He redeems us through the cross, through His blood. We've been redeemed. If we ignore that, we need to expect to ex eternal destruction. The only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, John chapter 3, verse number 5, Jesus said this to one of the most religious men on the planet. Jesus said to Nicodemus, You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. And you cannot expect to go to, the, to heaven unless you go through the gate, unless you go through Jesus. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Every time... I preach this. I like to turn on Oprah Winfrey. And there's a place on YouTube where I can go where Oprah is having a segment on her show and Dr. Phil is there. And I know I'm preaching on a lot of people when I talk about Oprah and Dr. Phil. But listen to this. This little Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher, this little lady on this YouTube clip, she stands up and I don't know exactly what, how this all happened, but I know that she stands up and she says this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And in that Hollywood setting and in that Hollywood studio, Oprah says, how is that fair? How can that be fair that, 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 that there only be one way to heaven? You know what? Truth is truth. Truth don't have to be fair. 
She stood up and she said, there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what they're talking about. When they talk about there's more than one way to heaven, there are 9,990 different types of world religion, according to Wikipedia. I say this, that Christianity is not a religion. I say Christianity is a relationship. So in disagreement with Wikipedia, I say there's 9,989 world religions. All 9,989 places that religions lead you to the same place. Now listen. When they say all religions lead you to the same place, you say, yes, amen, they do. They lead you to a place called hell. But this man here, this man Jesus, who is the, the door, who is, if you, if you look at the sheep gate, and you look at the sheep fold, the sheep fold has, has four different sides, and there is one entrance into the sheep fold. It is very, very narrow. It's much more narrow than that door facing there. And the shepherd can actually stand in the, in the, in the sheep gate and, and, and take up the entire space. When the sheep come in at night, the shepherd must stand aside and allow this, this, these sheep to enter through the sheep gate. There is no other way into that sheep fold except through the sheep gate. And Jesus is saying this, I am the door. I am the gate. So religion teaches you this. This is religion. Nine, uh, uh, 9,989. This is what they teach you. I'll teach you the same thing. If you're above the line, this, this is good behavior. If you have a good day, you're going to go to heaven. If you have a bad day, going to hell. Good day, bad day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's, that, that's a little bit funny, isn't it? But it's real. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, I'm not mad at anybody. But let me tell you something. Every night when they lay down in their bed, they wonder, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I been 51% good? Have I been 49% bad? I don't know for sure, but have I done enough to get me to heaven? That is religion. Good works, good behavior. Jesus Christ says, I'm not about that. I'm about believing and trusting in me in order for me to go to heaven. I must accept the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation occurs when a person accepts Jesus' work at Calvary. I don't wrestle with this. I don't wonder if I've been good enough. I know. You know what? Nowhere in the Talmud, nowhere in the Koran, nowhere in the, in the Bible is there a, a, a line, a, 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 a description. You be this good. You do these things and you can go to heaven. You do these things and everything will be fine. That's, that, there's not a list of behavior anywhere that tells us this. Now, we say God is a good God. Well, if being good gets you to heaven and He doesn't give you a standard, He doesn't give you a plumb line and tell you exactly what you need to do to get to heaven, then that's not being a good God. So what He has done, rather than trust your behavior, He has sent His Son 
to redeem you. And when I look at the cross and I look at Jesus when he bows his head and he says that it is finished, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ did everything he needed to do. He did not have to have my offering. He did not have to have my preaching. He didn't need anything. He did it all through his son, Jesus. And I've got to accept that. The Jesus death, burial, burial, and resurrection changes everything. Wayne Phillips, do you know for sure, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to have it? Well, I know I'm as sure from heaven as I was already there. I believe if I walked out that back door and I got run over by one of those four-wheelers that run up and down the street, I believe with all my heart that I would bust heaven wide open. You know why? Because, Wayne, you went to church all your life. You've been on mission trips, haven't you? You're a tither. You know what? I trust none of that. I trust Jesus Christ. And there's not a doubt in my mind where I'm going to spend. Judy, would you come just for a moment? I asked Judy to share a testimony about doubt. Well, as most of you know, I love to talk, but not in front of people. But I felt like this was something I needed to share. It was a little bit about my spiritual journey. When I was seven in our old church that sat over here, I mean, my mother had me at church morning, noon, and night. Anytime the doors were open, we were there. Well, we had a seven-day revival. How many remember a seven-day revival? We were there every night. But I loved it because I got to see all my friends, and we got to sit up front and misbehave until I got home. But anyway, one particular night, I think it was on a Friday night, um, things were different. Um, it was a very emotional night, and a lot of my friends were going forward. Well, everybody was crying. I looked around. My mother was crying. Well, I started crying. Well, the next thing I knew, I was up front. Not really sure why, but I was up front. So anyway, I left that night, and I, well, and I told my mother I had been saved. So I left that night and told Mom, now I could have the Lord's Supper. And she said, well, honey, I, it's a little bit more than that. But anyway, I went on. Through my teenage years, I played the piano, I taught Sunday school, I did everything I was supposed to do here, and um, thought I was okay, but there, I didn't have a peace, and I didn't know what that peace, why I didn't have that peace, so I got married, life was good, but I still didn't have that peace, so then I suddenly realized what was going on in my life, I was doubting my salvation, I kept looking back to when I was seven, did I really know what I was doing? I don't know if I did or not, and I struggled with it, and then I could put it out of my mind, and then it would come right back. So one day, I called uh, a former pastor of ours, Pastor West, who married Gary and I, and we were talking about some other things, and I said, I just need to talk to you. I'm really struggling right now. I don't know if I've been saved or not. I said, because sometimes when I would leave the church, I thought, man, if I got hit by a four-wheeler, a Mack truck, would I be in heaven? And, you know, and I didn't have that peace. And we talked, you know, at length. And finally he said to me, Judy, if it's bothering you this much, then you need to do something about it. Well, I kept putting it off. Satan kept telling me, Judy, you've done all this stuff. If you go up front, how embarrassing would that be? You've taught Sunday school. you played the piano. You've done it all. You can't go up front. But you know what? One day, one, one Sunday night when we had church, 
I was playing the piano at that time, and we were singing Victory in Jesus for the uh, invitation. And God just, just got a hold of me. I was shaking. I was crying. I couldn't play. And I knew right then and there what I needed to do. So I came forward, and man, the peace that God had poured out on me, I will never be able to explain it. You'll never know till you've been there. And all I can say today, if you're struggling with that, don't go through the pain and suffering uh, or the doubt of not knowing whether you're going to be in heaven one day. Have I been perfect? No. Will I be perfect? Never this side of heaven. But I know when I die where I'll go. Thank you. Now, I'm not done preaching. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not done preaching. We've got just a little bit farther to go. But as Judy has spoken, I believe that this is a real challenge that faces the church, that there's people who come to church who have this spirit of doubt. Is there anyone here this morning that says, Judy, you, you spoke on my behalf. You said exactly what I needed to be said. I doubt. I don't know for sure. I've jumped through all the religious hoops. I've done the mission trips. I've given my tithe. But I am not sure that I've ever given my life to Christ. I want to lead you in a prayer. This is not the invitation. We're not done. But if you you do not know for sure, for sure, for sure, pray this prayer. Pray, dear Lord Jesus. Just pray it in your heart as I pray it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And I know that you are God's Son. I believe you died to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Thank you Thank you for saving my soul. I'm trusting. I'm trusting your work at Calvary. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Do you pray that prayer? Just lift your hand. Lift your hand high. God bless you. Now listen, I see your hands. There's there's people that have raised their hand trusting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'll tell you what, let's let's just do it this way. Those of you that raised your hand, stand up. Be strong and very courageous, stand. Look around, church family. See these folks? Now, maybe I need to start doing the invitation this way every Sunday. Listen to this. You've given your life to Christ and you belong to the Lord and He has brought you into the sheepfold. You're now into the fold and you belong to the Lord. Here's our word. Rewilding. Listen to this. In 1995, 
the gray wolf was introduced into, in 1995, the gray wolf was reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park after a 75-year hiatus. Scientists expected an ecological ripple effect, but the size and the scope of this ecological ripple effect caught them by surprise. Wolves are predators that kill certain species of animals, but in, indirectly they give life to others. Wolves, when the wolves were re-entered into the ecological equation, it radically changed the behavior pattern of other wildlife. As the wolves began killing coyotes, the rabbits, mouse population increased, thereby attracting more hawks, weasels, foxes, and badgers. In the absence of the predator, deer had overpopulated the park and had overgazed parts of Yellowstone. Their new traffic patterns, however, allowed berries and flowers to flourish. These berries, as they were regenerated on shrubs, caused a spike in the bear population. In six years' time, these trees quadrupled in height. restoring the aspen, the willow, and the cotton tree. As soon as that happened, songbirds started nesting in the trees. Then beavers started chewing them down. Beavers are the ecological system's engineers, building dams that created natural habitats for otters, muskrats, ducks, as well as fish and other reptiles. One great ripple effect. Jesus said this in, in, in Matthew chapter number 10, verse number 16. He says, Behold, I send my sheep out among the wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Once you are saved and once you come through the door, once you are in the sheepfold, it is never God's plan, never God's idea for you to stay inside the sheepfold. He wants to rewild you. He wants to bring you, you sheep, out of the fold, back into a lost and dying world. Rewilding is resisting the urge to control nature. It is the restoration of the wilderness. It is it's the reintroduction of animals back into the natural habitat. It is an, ecologic, an economic, ecological term, but rewilding has spiritual implications. God, who has redeemed us, He is our shepherd through Jesus Christ. We are His sheep. Now He wants us to not remain in the sheepfold. He wants us to go into the lost and dying world. Jesus is the door to heaven. He is also the door to abundant life. The worst thing that could ever happen to a sheep that has come through the door of Jesus Christ and have given their life to Jesus, now they get into the sheepfold and we're not going to go anywhere. We're just going to stay right here in the fold. Now what if we were all sheep 
And we all come to Main Street Church, and this was green pasture. And all of us sheep, we partook of this green pasture. What's going to happen after so long? The green pasture is going to be gone. It's going to be dried up. It's going to be a mud hole. There's going to be uh, all kinds of disease and stuff that comes comes into this place. That's what Jesus, when Jesus in John chapter number 10, he's there in Jerusalem. He's talking to people that own sheep. He's talking to shepherds. He's talking to people who understand this. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads us into the sheepfold. He also leads us into green pastures and beside the still waters. At night, he allows you into the sheepfold. Then in the morning, he comes back and he stands by the sheep gate. He stands by the door and he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And he takes you to a place of service. He takes you to a place where he can lead you. When, when you find a bunch of sheep who are not hearing the still small voice of God and they're just staying in the sheepfold and they're not being obedient to that still small voice, they are miserable. They have eternal life. But they do not have abundant life. Sheep who remain in the sheepfold have eternal life, but they have missed abundant life. The Holy Spirit. Are you here this morning and you belong to the Lord and you and you feel an urge inside you that God's calling you to do something? He's calling you to step out and to move into something for Him? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants you to be happy. But He doesn't want you to be comfortable. The worst thing that can ever happen to a church is for the church to be comfortable. When we talk about rewilding, God wants His creation to be who He has created, who He has created it to be. He wants a wolf to be a wolf. He don't want a rabbit to be. He don't want a wolf to be a rabbit. The Bible says this that He created them male and female. You know what God wants me to be? He wants me to be a male. He wants me, he wants me to, to take on the Scripture and whatever. The, that, that's why I'm reading this book. He wants me to take on the Scriptures and He wants be, me to be who He's created me to be. He don't want me to be a woman. i got a sermon I'm going to preach next Father's Day. And the sermon is called this, Men Will Be Girls. God has called us to be something. And, it, and when we get to be what He's called us to be, we have to leave our comfort zone. In many ways... The 21st century church has become a zoo. All of these animals, that, that these uh, uh, wild animals has been captured and brought to the zoo. And when you stand behind that protective cage and you look behind that protective cage at an ape, the ape's behavior in the zoo is a great deal different than what you see in the wild. The church has taken, has taken, has taken the, the, the people of God. We have created a safe place and believers have become tame. This is, Main Street Church is a great place for you to come sit, soak, and sour. This is a great place for you to come and dry up spiritually. Great worship, great preaching, great ministries. And here you are, swiveling up like a shuck bean. 
and you're wondering why. It's because you have come to the zoo and you have become tame. That's why John 3.16 is so important. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that our town will die and go to hell until the people of God become like sheep and get out of the fold and go do what God's called us to do. These people are not coming to us. When Judy was saved, when I was saved, you went to church because there was nothing else to do. And your daddy was a pastor and you had to. But what else could you be doing this morning? If you weren't in church, there's a million things that you could... The church is not coming. The, the world is not coming to church. If you see someone here this morning that's, 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 not, uh, that's lost or unchurched, the reason they are here is because they are hurting. They're seeking something. They didn't come to hear the choir. They didn't come to hear me. They're searching for something. And nowhere in the Scripture is the world required to come to the church. The church has been mandated to go to the world. The church has pushed Jesus Christ outside its doors. And Jesus is seeking to re-enter His church. In John chapter number 3, verse number 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know what pastors have done? Evangelists have done? They've, took, they've taken that verse of Scripture and they've tried to preach evangelistically with that. That's a word to the church. That's not a word to the sinner. It's a word to the church at Laodicea. Let me tell you something, church at Laodicea. You've got a good-looking building. You've got air conditioning. You've got lights. You've got all this stuff. You've got a great sound system. You've got all these facilities. I sure would like to get in there. I'd love to be a part of that. Have you ever seen that picture? It's a, a Holman Hunt picture of Jesus standing outside the door, standing outside, knocking on the door. Pay very close attention to that picture because there is no doorknob on the side where Jesus is. You have to open that door. You have to allow Him to come in. The Holy Spirit is a Powerful, powerful thing. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force you to do something that you don't want to do. You've seen the, the salvation. You've seen the, the security. Let me preach very quickly through this word shalom. Shalom means peace. There is no greater peace, no greater joy than walking faithfully with God. If I had time, I would turn to Judges chapter number 6. In Judges chapter number 6, the nation of Israel has sinned against God. God has brought them into a time of punishment. He has sent the Mennonites to them, and the Mennonites are still in their food. They're still in their children. They're, and this one guy, Gideon, he's on the back side of the mountain. He's making some, uh, some wheat. He's hiding out. He's from a weak family. He's from a weak tribe. He's from a weak family. And he's the weakest of all that crew. And as the angel of the Lord looked at him, he said, Hello, mighty man of God. The Lord is with you. And Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, then why has all this befell us? 
and the angel, it was kind of like a, a parent talking to a, a middle school the, the Gideon wasn't listening to the angel. The angel wasn't listening to Gideon. Gideon said, go. Go in your strength. You come from a weak tribe. You come from a weak family. And you are the weakest of all these people. And you're exactly who I'm looking for. Listen to this. Following Jesus will expose all of your inadequacies. Jesus wants us to be a church that goes into a lost and dying world, wins the world to Him. And when the world comes to Him, people need to look at this and say, look what God has done. Don't look what Main Street's done. Your weakness, your inexperience, your fearfulness does not matter. It doesn't matter how much education I don't have. It doesn't matter how much money I don't have. It doesn't matter... What I don't have, what does matter is that I have God on my side. And when you have God on your side, you have everything you need. And you're just walking in what he's called you to do. And when you step out of the sheepfold and you begin to follow him and you're into something where you're way over your head, it's the pressure is on him to do his work, not you. When sheep, when the sheep leave the sheepfold, it exposes the shepherd. If you go down the road and you see a bunch of sheep out of the sheepfold, uh, out in the pasture, and they're dirty and they're skinny, nobody condemns the sheep. What's the matter with them dumb sheep down there? Nobody says that. You know what they do? They say, where's the shepherd? Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside the path of righteousness. You know why? For His name's sake. When someone sees the sheep out doing well, the sheep is protected, the sheep is fat, the sheep is well fed. They don't look at the sheep and say, my, that's a smart sheep. They look and say, that sheep must have a good shepherd. And when we go out of this place and we go do John 3.16 to a lost and dying world, it don't expose pastor. It exposes a shepherd. You know what the good news is about that? You continue to read this passage, you'll find out that the shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. He's going to take care of us. Just a few minutes ago, I gave an invitation. Three people gave their heart to Jesus Christ. I'm getting ready to give another invitation. And I'm going to ask you, I wish those ladies that did that would just come and stand with me. I'm going to ask you something. Are you here this morning and saying, Pastor, I have heard the still small voice. And I will this morning come out of the sheepfold. And I will respond. Come on up here, girls, right here. And I will respond to that voice. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. And I'm asking you right now, Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to cause people to move. Those people who have been wrestling with whether they should join Main Street Church, strengthen them. Those people who have been wanting to teach Sunday school, work with children, who have got a call on their life, and they've sat on it for months. Many, maybe some of them for years, I pray today would be the day that they would step up and step out in the name of Jesus. Your son's name I pray. Amen. Stay with me.